psalmist says, Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Let's come before the Lord in prayer. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we bow once more before thee. Our God, our Father in heaven, O Lord, we thank thee that in a world that is so full of change, where there is so much noise and confusion, that we come to the unchanging God, the God of all the earth. We come to great certainties. O Lord, we thank thee for thy word open before us. And we pray that as we read it together tonight, and as we seek to understand it, that thou bless us each one. Do prepare us now for this time of worship. Forgive our many sins, we pray. Help us as we lift our voices to praise thee, that we may do so sincerely, and that our praise may be genuine. Hear our prayers and answer from on high, and speak to us through thy word, we pray. We ask all these things in the name of our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Our first hymn this evening is the hymn 119. Hymn 119, Glory to God on High.
Our scripture reading is from the first letter to Timothy, chapter 6. First Timothy, chapter 6. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honour, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather do them service because they are faithful and beloved, partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. From such withdraw thyself. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life whereunto thou art also called and has professed a good profession before many witnesses. I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his times he shall show, who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honour and power everlasting. Amen. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding profane and vain babblings, and oppositions of science 
falsely so-called, which some, professing, have erred concerning the faith. Grace be with thee. Amen. May the Lord add his own rich blessing to the reading of his holy word. Our second hymn is the hymn number 273, based upon Psalm 72. Hymn number 273, Jesus shall reign where'er the sun doth his successive journeys run.
Let's come again to the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. Almighty and ever-living God, we thank thee as we come unto thee again in prayer, as we humble ourselves before thee, that thou art that mighty King of whom we have sung. We thank thee that though uh, as a world and as a race and as individuals we have in time past turned our backs upon thee, that thou dost reign in the affairs of mankind, we thank thee that thou art the sovereign, and we thank thee that there is a great and coming day when our Saviour shall return and shall reign. O oh Lord, we marvel at the wonder of our Saviour, all that he is and all that he has become to us. And we thank thee that though we once lived our lives as though we were in charge of them ourselves, that thou hast brought us to see the hopelessness of a life away from thee and the consequences of our sin and that we have seen as it has been explained to us in the Lord Jesus Christ the only hope for our soul we thank thee for the reality of Christian conversion and we thank thee that now the Lord Jesus Christ our Saviour rules and reigns in our hearts O oh Lord we long that he may do so evermore and, O oh Lord, as we think of our own selves and the ways in which, in so many ways, we let thee down by our sinfulness and waywardness, O oh Lord, we pray that even in our meeting together tonight that we may be strengthened and helped to look to him and to look to him alone, that he may indeed reign and rule, that he may be the one whom we seek to follow and to adore. O oh Lord, we commit into thy hands the hours and the days of the week before us, and we ask that thou wilt go with us, and that we might be thy true people, that we might represent thee, and that we may live uh, the Christian life in a, a manner that uh, points the way to the Saviour, to all about us. We pray that there may be something in our demeanour, something in our words, something in our reactions that speaks powerfully to those who observe us and that they may be intrigued and that some may even be led to ask and that we may have a wonderful opportunity to seek to bring under the dominion of the Lord Jesus Christ others who will bow the knee to him. O Lord, as we look around us and we consider the affairs of mankind and we see on every hand so much that is perplexing and so much that we cannot fully understand ourselves and we thank thee that thou dost rule and reign in the affairs of mankind O oh Lord though thou art working out thy purposes and so often in the midst of things it's hard for us to see all that thou art bringing to pass yet O oh Lord how we thank thee that time after time as we look back we have cause to praise and thank thee for the wisdom of thy ways, for the wonderful weaving of our circumstances and those of others also to bring about eternal and lasting good. And therefore, our gracious God, we do pray that thou'lt help us in the days to come, that we may prove thy mighty power in our life and experience. In times of test, in times of temptation, 
in times when the enemy of our souls would threaten to sweep us off our feet, at times when the allurements of this world seem very strong, O oh Lord, we pray that we may look to our heavenly King, that we may desire uh, to know his strength and his intervention. We pray that thou protect us and keep us and hold us no matter what. O oh Lord, in darkest dispensations, when the days ahead seem so difficult for us, we pray that we may look unto thee and to thee alone. Our gracious God, we do thank thee for the wonderful way in which thou dost deal with us. We thank thee for thy dealings with us in answer to our prayers, thy speaking to us through thy word as we take it up day by day in our homes and as we meet together for worship. O oh Lord, do continue to deal with us and bless us, we pray. And even this night, as we come shortly to submit ourselves to thy word, we pray that it may speak to us, each one, that there may be that word of encouragement where it is needed, that word of reproof where we need to have our pathway checked, that where we need to repent, and where we need restoration of communion with thyself. O oh Lord, we pray that we may be spurred to activity in thy service, that we may be each one those who desire to be useful while left here below in telling others the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. O oh Lord, we fully recognize that there is nothing that we can do to change a human soul. Thou alone canst bring to conversion the lost as thou hast dealt so graciously with us. And yet how we thank thee that thou art so often pleased to use weak and feeble instruments such as we are. And, O oh Lord, we put ourselves entirely into thy hands and long that thou use us. Direct our paths, we pray. Bring us into contact with those whom we may speak to and tell the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Bless us in our homes. O oh Lord, amongst those who see us, every day, who mark the inconsistencies of our conduct. O oh Lord, help us to live truly the Christian life and hear our prayers on behalf of those who as yet are outside of thy kingdom and bring them uh, to faith in thyself, we pray. But be with us too as we rub shoulders with others in the world, total strangers sometimes, and yet perhaps a brief opportunity to represent the Lord Jesus Christ to them, where we work or study among our neighbours and those whom we know. O oh Lord, in every place, we pray that we may have that uh, irresistible desire to tell others of what the Saviour has done for us and prepare hearts, we pray. Use even our feeble witness and use it to thy praise, honour and glory in the saving of lost souls. O oh Lord, we thank Thee that Thou dost put us together to serve Thee in fellowship in churches. And we thank Thee for the mutual love that we can have for one another as we encourage one another along the way, as we labour together. O oh Lord, we thank Thee for this church and for all associated with it. We do continue to pray for the uh, maintenance of the gospel here, that those who come and stand in this pulpit or minister in any capacity, may seek to be faithful 
to the truth of thy word and that thou continue to prosper thy work here. O Lord, we thank thee for all who in past times have heard the words of life in this place and come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we long that the beacon light of the gospel may continue to shine forth here, that thy people may remain faithful and that many yet may be called in uh, to seek and to find the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, thou hast placed this church in this vicinity, in this community, among these houses. We are persuaded that among them there are those whom are thine elect. O Lord, use thy people here to bring honor and glory to thy name in calling out the elect. We think particularly of the children, the young people that surround this place, growing up in a society that has no time for spiritual things, little interest in matters of the soul. And Lord, we feel their disadvantage, so ignorant of high and holy things, knowing nothing of the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that means may be found, whereby many can be reached. O oh Lord, bless thy people here and in every place. May there be a new uh, generation among the children and young people of our society who come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We cannot see how it can be done. Our numbers are few. Our voice is so often drowned out and our Lord is dismissed and despised. And yet how we thank thee that all the power is of thee. We look to thee and seek thy blessing. O Lord, we lift before thee again those known to us at this time who are troubled, who are anxious, who have practical concerns and family worries. O Lord, be with them and bless them, we pray. We pray that thou heal and restore too those who are sick and laid aside, those who are frail, unable to come out to worship as they would wish to. O Lord, be with them wherever they are. We think of those who are in care homes, some who are in hospital, some who know great pain and much uh, uh, discomfort. We ask that thou grant relief and restore full health if it please thee. O Lord, be with us, we pray, and help us as we seek to be an encouragement and help to one another. May that true love that should exist between brother and brother, brother and sister in the Lord, O Lord, may these things be real and evident to all. Our gracious God, again, we pray for our land. We pray for those in government, those who have uh, great decisions to be taken. We fear for them, for so many appear to pay little attention to the standards of thy word. And we pray that among them there may be those who come to f personal faith, in the Lord Jesus Christ, that the things that they deliberate may be shaped by the things found in thy holy word. O Lord, we pray that we may see, even in our time, a turning of the tide from this relentless march away from thee. O Lord, may there be a turning to thee. May there be a shaking of the people, a dissatisfaction with the things of this world, and a desire to know something deeper. O oh Lord, plant these desires in many hearts, we pray, and go before us as thy people, that as we speak to them, they may be ready to receive thy truth. 
Now, Lord, we pray for thy people in other lands. We think of those whom we love and support. We ask for them, our gracious God, that thou be near to them, that thou grant them every needed strength, all resources that they require, that their work may continue to go forward. Where there are difficulties, where there are distressing situations, where there are those oppositions, O oh Lord, we pray that thou so work that even these things may uh, be to thine eternal praise and glory as the work is advanced and many are brought into the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray for those who are in danger, whether it be in war and bloodshed or because of disease and famine. O oh Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters seeking to bring alongside the material aid the message of the gospel too. Be with them and encourage them, we pray, that they may see tokens of thy blessing upon their work and be with us. O oh Lord, we thank thee for thy promised presence, a small gathering as we are. How we thank thee that thou art in our midst. We pray that as we look into thy word together tonight, it may be a help to each and every one of us. So bless us and give us receptive hearts and minds. And, O oh Lord, seal thy truth in our hearts, that it may be our reflection in the days to come to encourage us along the Christian pathway. And we bring these, our prayers, before thee now, asking all in the precious name of our Saviour and Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Before we turn to the word of God together, we'll join again in singing the hymn 297. Hymn 297. Come, gracious spirit, heavenly dove, with light and comfort from above. Hymn 297.
please turn this evening to 1 Timothy, chapter 6, and to verse 12. 1 Timothy, chapter 6, and verse 12. We are going to be looking at just one of the phrases found in this verse. Lay hold on eternal life. Lay hold on eternal life. In verse 11 of this chapter, Paul, as he writes to Timothy, begins a series of exhortations. But thou, O man of God, flee these things, all the ills, all the sins, all the wrong traits of character that have been mentioned in the previous verse, and follow, uh, and follow after righteousness. Godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. And this sequence of exhortations begins, and the one that we're going to look at, lay hold on eternal life, is one of those exhortations that we see here. It's mentioned again. I don't know whether you detected that in our scripture reading, but down in verse 19 where Paul moves on and is addressing the rich and the wealthy. He says, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. So twice this phrase comes out in this chapter. It must be of great significance. And I hope as we look at it together, we'll see its application uh, to us personally in our Christian walk as well as in the matter of our witness and life of testimony. Lay hold on eternal life. That little expression, lay hold, is so interesting and so intriguing. Let me suggest a number of things that surely it must include. It must, of course, include to take a firm grasp. Lay hold. This is something that is going to be done deliberately with thought to lay hold on something. And it is not merely to hold it, it is to lay hold. This is something that requires a firm grasp. In my own church, I have a nickname and it is Bone Crusher uh, because I, I give people a very firm handshake. I, I lay hold of them. It's a firm and a deliberate handshake. Don't worry, I won't uh, give you too much of a test afterwards this evening to see what you can endure. But uh, uh, that's my nickname. And it is because I do uh, deliberately, I, I like to have a firm handshake. And to lay hold on eternal life surely means to take a firm grasp, to deliberately have a, a desire to have uh, a hold on eternal life. But this expression, to lay hold, includes rather more than just something that is firmly to be grasped, to be de grasped deliberately. It has with it also something about tenacity. Uh, to lay hold on something is to grasp it, in a sense, never to let it go. It's a once-for-all action. It's not something that you, I hold something 
and then I release it. No, it is to lay hold and once taken hold of to seek firmly to grasp that thing. It is an abiding hold. And then the, to lay hold surely includes a measure of dependence. I, I'm laying hold of this because it means something. This is something uh, for which I am going to receive a benefit. This is something uh, without which, if I don't lay hold of it, there's something to be lost. And so as I lay hold on, on it, I am committed to this. And I am depending upon the blessing that comes to me through laying hold on eternal life. And then, as I've sought almost to act out before you, it's an exclusive hold. Lay hold on eternal life, a two-handed hold, so that I can't be holding one thing with one hand and seek with another to be laying hold on eternal life. Whatever else I have uh, that I'm grasping for the time being to lay hold on eternal life, I've got to relinquish that hold. I've got to let go of some things so that I can, in an exclusive way, lay hold on eternal life. Well, first of all, let me remind you that there's much of this in the way that we first had eternal life imparted to us. At the time of our conversion, many of these things were true of us. And you know from the Gospel of Matthew, there is that verse, Matthew 11 and verse 12, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. There's something of that in the manner about which we first were given the eternal life that here we're being exhorted to lay hold on. There were things that we had to let go in order to lay hold, first of all, first for, for the very first time, on eternal life. We had, for example, to let go of our doubts and our prejudices about God and his message and his concern for us. We hated him. We wanted nothing to do with him. And we held on to tenaciously anything that would mean that we didn't have to humble ourselves before him and seek his pardon and forgiveness. But to receive eternal life, to first lay hold on eternal life, we had to relinquish those doubts and those prejudices and humble ourselves before him and hear him speak to us. We had to let go and relinquish any of our own imagined goodness or righteousness. All the things that we thought God should be pleased with about us, we had to see in their true light, tainted at best by wrong motives and pride. But these things in the sight of Almighty God count nothing towards the salvation of our souls. They cannot counterbalance all of the wickedness and sin and iniquity that we have committed. And we had to let go those things and come empty-handed to lay hold on eternal life. We had to let go of this world 
This world that we were so in love with. This world that meant so much to us. This world where we sought to gain all the peace and satisfaction that we could muster. We began to see through it. We had to let it go so that we could lay hold on eternal life. We had to let go of our sins, our sinful habits, the lusts and passions that come from our sinful nature. Let go all of those things so that we could then lay hold on eternal life. And just as I described, that laying hold of eternal life when we, at the moment of our conversion was something that had to be done deliberately. There was planted within us now a desire to know peace with God, to have a walk with him, a desire to have the weight of guilt lifted from us, to know that we were forgiven. And so we actually sought the forgiveness of sins. We pleaded with the Lord and we wanted to take a firm grasp on the salvation that he gives. Perhaps for a time we were kept waiting. Perhaps for a time there were, uh, our prayers appeared to be unanswered because this needed to be done uh, with great seriousness. It needed to be done in deadly earnest. There needed to be this tenacity this taking hold and never letting go, continuing to plead and cast ourselves upon the mercy of the Saviour until he heard us. There was a dependence about our seeking and taking hold because we have no other hope beside. Lord, if thou wilt not save me, there is no other means by which I can be saved. All other avenues are fruitless. And then it is exclusive, as we've said. Letting go of all else, we casted, cast ourselves upon the mercy of the Saviour. We cast ourselves and laid hold upon his promises to save us. We laid hold upon his sufferings and death upon the, uh, the cross at Calvary. And we took hold of him and never let him go. And then we knew that eternal life, and we were assured of our salvation. Well, in much the same way as believers here this evening, this exhortation comes to us, and many uh, parallels there are between the manner in which first we received eternal life and the way that uh, day by day we are to lay hold on eternal life. There are things that we have got to let go we have got to let go our sinful traits, those character warts, those aspects of our conduct that we know are wrong, that spoil our communion with the Lord and perhaps prevent us from having a conscious experience of the joy of eternal life in our daily walk. We need to rel relinquish our hold of those things. We need to let go our worldly ambitions because so much of the world would seek to encroach upon us and even as the Lord's people we can find its insidious uh, growth in our consciousness subtly taking over so that our sight of eternal things is marred and obscured by our interest for the time being in our worldly concerns 
but to lay hold on eternal life. We've got to push those things to one side, relinquish our hold of those things to lay hold on eternal life. And even our legitimate concerns and our pleasures, our work, family and leisure, all these things which have their place, we're careful to ration so that they never obscure our capacity to lay hold and see highest and foremost the laying hold of eternal life. And in the same way, we, it is to, to be with us an abiding hold, an experience that we can have and know all the days of our life. Oh, there will be ebbs and flows. That may be because of our sinfulness and waywardness at times. Well, we repent and we seek the Lord's help to have that res restored in our experience. But sometimes the Lord calls us just to trust him and to lay hold and to keep hold, no matter what, even if for the time being I don't feel it as perhaps I would desire to. Well, a few things then about laying hold on eternal life for us in our personal walk. Eternal life for the Christian believer is a present reality. It's not to be parked after death, as though I'm saved, but eternal life begins at the end of my life when I go uh, to be in the presence of Almighty God. No, Paul's exhortation here along with many other scriptures, make it clear that this is something that we should experience and benefit from, even here in our present life. Now, Paul, of course, he writes as an elderly uh, believer of much experience coming towards the end of his Christian life here below. But he is addressing here Timothy, a young pastor, someone much younger in the Christian faith, and to him, and therefore also to all of us here, he exhorts to lay hold on eternal life. It's a present reality. John chapter 6 and verse 47. He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. Notice the word that's used there. He that believeth on me, not will have, not at some point in the future, not in the glorious eternal realm, but he that believeth on me hath, right now, everlasting life. It's a present reality. And the moment of our conversion is the point at which we pass from a merely bodily life into the experience of eternal life. Oh, it's going to be, of course, uh, different in kind when at the end of life or when the Lord Jesus Christ returns, we're ushered into the eternal realm and so much that obscures our view will be moved out of the way. But eternal life, everlasting life, for the believer begins the moment we are converted. Listen to these words. Verse 1 John chapter 5 and verse 12. He that hath the Son hath life. That 
everlasting life, that eternal life, that abundant life that Jesus Christ alone can give is the possession of all who have the Lord Jesus Christ. The converse is true. He that hath not the Son hath not life. And though we live a physical life, it's a walking death because we're away from the Lord. The contrast is so great. To know Christ and to have him is to have everlasting life. And we're called here to lay hold on that eternal life. Well, in my school, I used to run a club. And this club uh, was to help uh, the children, those who were interested in writing web pages and code for websites. It's a, an interest that I've got and I wanted to share it with some of these youngsters. Well, pretty soon they were much better than I was. And on one occasion a lad came into uh, the, the club and he said, Sir, can I show you a, a, a web page that I've designed? And he said, I said, of course, yes, show me. And so he, he called it up. It, it was a, a very unimpressive looking website. It was a completely blank page apart from two words. Click here. But the thing was, he was so clever that whenever you moved the mouse near the word click here, the words moved. And the one thing that it, the page told you to do was the one thing that it was impossible for you to do. Well, what a contrast with what the Apostle Paul is putting before us here. Lay hold on eternal life. This is not something that is difficult. This is not something that is hard. It's not something that is in any sense kind of so airy-fairy that it's impossible for us to express in tangible terms. This is a reality. This is an experience that everyone who is a Christian believer can enter into. Let me try to give some concrete reality to what it means to lay hold on eternal life. Firstly, at conversion you were given everlasting life. We've spoken of that. Well, firstly then, live as someone who possesses that gift. Think for a moment of uh, someone who has very thoughtfully bought you a gift. And they've really thought about you, about your circumstances, and about something that would be very, very useful to you. And they've bought it, and they've wrapped it. It's not only useful, it's very valuable. It's very beautiful, very nice to look at, perhaps. And they've wrapped it for you, and they give it to you. It's in your possession. What do you do with it? Do you unwrap it, look inside the box, and then put it away in the attic? No, it's been given to you. It's useful to you. They've really thought about you and your concerns. You'll take it out. You'll use it. You'll benefit from it. Well, at conversion... Our Heavenly Father, by the work of Jesus Christ, applied by the Holy Spirit, has given to each one of us everlasting life. We knew great joy the moment we were conscious that our sins were forgiven, but have we looked in the box and then just parked it, put it away in the attic? 
Oh, how foolish. Live as someone conscious of this wonderful gift that has been given to you. Everlasting life. Eternal life. From time to time, we hear, don't we, of people who live in uh, squalor and uh, their homes are full of filth and then they die and you discover that they have fabulous wealth a huge amount of money in the bank but they had no benefit from it what good did it do them when they lived uh, so poorly well it's like the Christian unconscious of the blessing of eternal life for now as well as for eternity unconscious of the gift that's been given there it is and all we are called upon to do is to lay hold upon it to think about it and that's my next point to try to give some concrete reality to laying hold on eternal life think much about eternity and what our experience will be in that glorious and heavenly realm. Whenever you read the Bible and you come across a passage and it has something to say about heaven and a glimpse is given of the condition of the Lord's people, stop, reflect upon it, marvel at it and think how in some sense aspects of that are available to me even now. I'll just uh, refer to a couple of passages. Philippians and chapter 3, verse 20. For our conversation is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. I am even now a citizen of heaven. The passport, as it were, that I carry is stamped, authentically confirming that I am a citizen of heaven, even now. From whence also we look for the Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. And even here and now, something of that citizenship can be experienced, relished, and pondered. I think on to 1 John and chapter 3, verse 2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Not in the future. Now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And aspects even of that we can enjoy and relish even now. And the more our minds are taken up with eternity and the experience that shall be ours at the end of our life or at the end of the age in that glorious heavenly realm, the more we can bring that into our uh, everyday experience. And that's my third point. Bring eternity to now as I reflect upon the eternal realm. And I have these glimpses of all that will take place there, the experience of the redeemed. Bring that experience 
into my present uh, experience? What will I be doing in the glorious and eternal realm? Oh, it's a place of light. It's a place of glory. It's a place of bliss. It's a place where everything that is tainted by sin will be utterly eradicated. These are glorious thoughts. But you know, think about this. The Lord Jesus Christ is going to be at the center of everything. We shall see him as he is. We shall be taken up in the praise and worship of our Savior. Worthy is the Lamb shall be on our lips for all eternity. We'll bring eternity to now. Lay hold on eternal life by making Christ consciously central to everything that you do, everything you experience. The big things and the small things. The material things as well as the spiritual things. Carry Christ with you everywhere. And the more your gaze is fixed upon him, the more you are laying hold on eternal life. We'll be worshipping and serving him there. We'll bring heaven and eternity into your present experience. Make your whole life an expression of worship of the Saviour. Cry out to him. Sing to him. Pray to him. And then serve him. We're told in that realm, we'll serve him. We don't know quite how that will be manifest. But we can serve him here below. And time after time, those whom we meet, who are the most dissatisfied or uh, gloomy believers, who have little experience of uh, laying hold on eternal life, we find they are the ones who are not active in service as the Lord gives strength and opportunity. Oh, the Lord has spared me, hasn't taken me away to that heavenly realm just yet. There must be something for me to do while I'm here. There must be someone to reach. There must be someone to tell the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter how small, how apparently insignificant our acts of service are, as we both worship and serve him here, we are laying hold on eternal life and how wonderful that will be in heaven. We shall know perfect happiness among the redeemed, the love that will exist between all those who have this shared experience of trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ will bring us into perfect harmony and love and unity will bring eternity to now and do everything in your power to promote that love, that unity, that oneness of purpose, even here below. And then every meeting becomes a little foretaste of heaven to come. Every time we gather together, even as we share our concerns, we're laying hold together of eternal life and how sweet the experience will be. Do nothing to injure the unity that you have between you as you serve together. No gossip, no backbiting, no harmful words, everything to promote 
the spiritual welfare and blessing of each other. A little foretaste of heaven. That's my third point. But then fourthly, look at the verse because it goes on. And this, I think, is marvellous. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called. These things are hard to speak about without almost transgressing the bounds of language. But you know, eternal life, and I'm trying to speak carefully here, it's our inheritance. It's our right, and I'm trying to use that word carefully. Because purchased for us by Christ, not because of anything that we have done, but because what he has done on our behalf, this experience of blessedness and knowing the joy of eternal life now, is our calling. It is there for us, available. And if we don't experience it, it's not because it's not there. It's because in some way we have failed to lay hold on that eternal life. So in our personal walk, just as when first we became those who received eternal life, we are to lay hold on eternal life. And I've tried to set before you ways in which we can make that a present reality. But as we close, I can't help but notice within the passage here there is so much about witness and testimony. And I want to apply this in this way. Lay hold on eternal life for others. Look down in verse 12. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. This is about our conduct our deportment, and the, the effect that that has on others. This is my testimony, my witness. But come into verse 13. I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession. The witness of Christ is brought to bear as part of his reasoning. And then down to verse 18, where the Apostle Paul begins to, in verse 17, speak to those who are rich in this world. And I'm sorry to tell you that by comparison to almost anyone who would have existed in Paul's time, we may be the poorest person in the building tonight, but we're rich by comparison. And when we take into account our spiritual blessings and advantages spiritually we are certainly rich and there's this charge to us verse 18 that they do good not showing old ladies across the streets but what good are they to do well let's read on that they be rich in good works ready to distribute willing to communicate if you've got a reference Bible, you may in your centre margin have an alternative rendering for willing to communicate. It's a fascinating word in the Greek, and it means to be sociable. And that really gives a hint that here the Apostle Paul is telling the rich 
that they are to be, as it were, at the forefront, generous, spirited, in giving to others, and sociable, speaking often about the Lord to others. And so there's definitely uh, a secondary element within the passage that has to do with witness. And so I want to, for a moment or two, seek to explore this idea of laying hold on eternal life for others. Someone prayed for you. It may have been a Christian mother or father, a brother or sister. It may have been uh, a work colleague or a fellow student. But someone, somewhere, prayed for you. They laid hold on eternal life on your behalf. They pleaded with the Lord for the salvation of your soul. And the Lord, in his kindness and in his sovereignty, has brought you to salvation. Now we have a responsibility also, on behalf of others, to lay hold on eternal life for them. So as individuals, we ought, all of us, to have someone who is high on our hearts, for whom we pray, perhaps someone in the family, someone who has gone astray, someone who has rebelled against the gospel, someone who has gone far off into the world. And we are going to commit to laying hold on eternal life on their behalf. We are going to consciously take a firm grasp and commit ourselves to pray for them and seek to bring a testimony to them. It's going to be a tenacious hold. This commitment to lay hold on eternal life for this individual means that we'll not give the Lord any rest until he hears our prayer and wonderfully and gloriously blesses us. At our church, there was a, a lady, a very simple soul, and her husband was unconverted. And uh, every time she went out to church, he laughed at her, often swore at her, and made her life very difficult. But she was faithful. She said she couldn't do much, but she could pray. And she did pray for her husband. Well, she sadly died, was called home, before her husband responded, before she saw an answer to that prayer. But at her funeral, he came along. And he saw the love and affection that so many within the church had for his wife. And he's been attending ever since. Her prayer was answered after she had departed. But on his behalf, she laid hold on eternal life and gave the Lord no rest until he was brought in. What about as a church, as a fellowship? Do you in your prayer meeting? Lay hold on eternal life for your town. Is there fervent and frequent prayer for the souls of those who live in the houses immediately around the church? Perhaps they've never yet darkened the door, but your prayer on their behalf may soften a heart. The Lord may operate in their hearts and draw them in. Pray for your community. 
lay hold on eternal life. Be fervent in prayer. You know here, in verse 19, having spoken about the rich, Paul says, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come. These were the rich. They had great wealth. And they're to lay up a store for themselves against the time to come. What does he mean? He's already said in this chapter, we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out. What great store are they to lay up for the time to come that expresses this laying hold on eternal life? Well, spiritual work. The things that we do for the Lord. Every soul reclaimed from rebellion and brought to bow the knee to Jesus Christ and come to know him and his pardon and forgiveness is the only thing that lasts. Everything else will come to nothing. You can do what you like, accomplish what you like. You can get what riches you like. Nothing will follow you laying hold on eternal life. And so as we lay hold on eternal life for others and plead with the Lord for the salvation of their souls, that is to lay up in store a good foundation for the time to come. We may not see the results here, but eternity will reveal the extent to which the Lord has heard our prayers and our laying hold on eternal life, not only for ourselves, but for others also, has borne fruit. And we'll have greater cause to praise and glorify his name in that eternal realm. So I've sought to show you how, as individuals, we can lay hold on eternal life. And how we can lay hold on eternal life for others. May the Lord help us. May this exhortation remain with us. May it challenge us. May it prompt us to be active in his service. May we know much of the blessing and benefit of eternal life in our experience, even here below. And then enter ready, prepared for that opening up of the experience, that expansion of the experience when we're glorified, when we're transformed and we see our dear Saviour face to face for his glory alone. Amen. Our closing hymn this evening is the hymn 670. Hymn 670, I will sing the wondrous story of the Christ who died for me. And then at the end of verse 3, Yes, I'll sing the wondrous story of the Christ who died for me. Sing it with the saints in glory gathered by the crystal sea.
Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Saviour, the love of God, our Heavenly Father, and the fellowship and communion of the Holy Spirit be with each one of us now and for evermore. Amen.